Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. You know... Something we were talking about yesterday in some of the media reports, it, it, it's worth uh, jumping into this again. And I've uh, gone through this last night and after the show and this morning, went back and looked at some of these editorials in the Washington Examiner, a couple of pieces at National Review, and they're not alone, where they, with great sanctimony, See, the president does not have the authority to open the economy. Now, just listen to the language for a second. Opening the economy. This nation was founded, founded on property rights, even before representative government, the right to property, the right to property. The right to acquire it, the right to maintain it, the right to sell it, the right to use it. And property rights are under tremendous attack right now. Property rights. Your job is a property right. Doesn't mean that your boss can't fire you. Their business is a property right. Doesn't mean it can't go out of business. But we just willy-nilly... You know, the governors have the right to do this. The governors have the right to do that. No, they don't. What's amazing to me is I watch the governors turn the screws tighter and tighter. In New York now, if you go out and you can't stand six feet from somebody, you must wear a mask. So dictates the governor. Not a single civil liberties complaint. Where does he get that authority from? Police powers. Now, I didn't ask you that. Where specifically does he get his authority from? Nobody looks. Nobody's looked. And conservatives are okay with this. You know, it's just, well, that's federalism. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. No, it's not federalism. You can have governors making decisions as they have the authority within the state to make decisions, but they don't necessarily have the authority to make certain decisions. You still have state constitutional rights and federal constitutional rights. They don't just apply to terrorists and mass murders. They apply to real-life citizens. They even apply to Christians who want to go to church. Can you believe that, Mr. Producer? This virus is opportunistic. It goes after people who are elderly and people who have weak immune systems and people who have various maladies and so forth. 
But the left is opportunistic too. And they'll tell you. You know, when Barack Obama endorsed Joe Biden, it was so disgusting I couldn't even play it on the radio. He goes on and on like Castro. I can't even stand it. But he's talking now about endorsing Bernie Sanders' agenda. And we never look back. We shouldn't look back, says Obama. We need to look forward. Of course you shouldn't look back. Because if you look back, you'll see the, the mayhem, the carnage, the death that results from Marxism and radical progressivism. It's a horrible thing. So don't look back. Just look forward. Just buy what they're promising. The next magic trick they want to show you. But this virus has attacked our economy. It's attacked our form of government. And this is why Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx must not be in charge of these things. They can go to their labs or go to their offices or wherever they go and play with their models, which they admit don't work, play with the data, which they admit isn't up to date. But these governors, some of them, seem very excited about what they're doing now. The governor in Michigan is a tyrant. The governor in Illinois is a tyrant. Cuomo is a tyrant. The governor in California is a tyrant. And the ratings of these governors in these states, and they're mostly blue states, are through the roof. Now these tyrants, other than issuing orders about what their citizens can and cannot do, they're incompetence. Every one of them turns to the federal government. Masks, ventilators, beds, subsidies, help their small businesses, help their employees. It's an amazing thing. When it comes to the exercise of their brute force and their iron fist, there's to be no interference. Federalism, they say. And yet, when it comes to paying for the consequences of their brute force and the iron fist, small businesses closing, people unemployed, and so forth, then all of a sudden, it's a United States issue. And apparently, a lot of conservatives are perfectly fine with this. Just read their editorials. They don't even bring it up. We actually have these governors and their senators and others demanding, okay, uh, Funds for their small businesses in their states. So the decisions to punish citizens is a state decision. The decision to close businesses, small and all sizes, is a state decision. The decision to put 20 million people out of work is a state decision. But apparently... They're not responsible for anything, so it's up to the federal government to pay for it all. Now, that's not federalism, ladies and gentlemen. That's opportunism. I haven't heard a single governor or a single so-called supporter of federalism say that the federal government should not subsidize any of this. After all, the governors are making these decisions. They believe in federalism. We heard them say that. Now, we have submitted to the decisions of a handful of technocrats in Washington, D.C., and a handful of tyrants in the states. Centralized medical decisions are no better than centralized any other decisions. 
You take them into consideration, but they could be wrong. And if they're wrong, what's the consequence? 20 million unemployed. That's the consequence. Their figures on hospitalization were wrong. Their figures on fatality levels were wrong. Way wrong. So much so that Mayor DiCamio now is redefining what it means to have died from the coronavirus, and the numbers are kicking up. So, there are a couple other issues related to this. Are states free to get together to create these compacts, three states, four states, these regional compacts, to plan when they're going to open? Are they free to do that? Is that what the Constitution says, National Review, Washington Examiner? My brothers and sisters in the conservative movement, is that what the Constitution says? Are states free to get together? You know, Convention of States, you are. There it is in Article 5. The second method of amending the Constitution, it's, it's laid out, general terms, but you're free to get together. It's an amendment process. But are states free to join in these compacts? And there's only one publication so far that I saw that mentions it and gets it right. The New York Sun. And the headline is, The Governor's Mutiny. No, states are not free to join together in regional compacts. They're specifically prohibited from doing so in the vast majority of cases. Because they were building the United States of America. So they need the consent of Congress. Otherwise, it's forbidden from entering into, quote, any agreement or compact with another state. Any agreement or compact with another state. That's why this national voter initiative and so forth that seeks to undermine the electoral college, this is one of several reasons why it's defective. Governors form compacts. They're being praised even by concern. Look at this. Now, why are they forming compacts? They don't need to form compacts to open their states. They're forming compacts to not open their states. I've heard it said, well, at least California, at least he's uh, the governor there. He's, he's come up with a six-point plan. We're going to go over a six-point plan. It's an impossibility. So states are not free to, comp- uh, to, uh, to, get, to uh, make compacts with other states in this regard in order to govern themselves as if they're not part of the United States. Now some of the people, well, Russian, look. Some of the people who write at these various public, well, I better find out. Now, the prohibition in cases where a state that grants an exception, as they point out in the New York Sun, if states are actually invaded in such imminent danger as will not admit a delay. In other words, if they have to act to defend themselves from foes. Has nothing to do with this. Now, this question has not been asked on any cable television network on any network period, and it likely won't be. And it likely won't be. So that's number one. 
Number two, as I emphasized yesterday, there is no denying the power of the federal government to use the power of the purse to influence, if not impose, its will. This has been upheld repeatedly by the courts. This has been a left-wing agenda. This is what they do. You either do this, 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 or this, or we're going to cut your EPA funds. You either do this, 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 or this, or we're going to cut this fund or that fund. And in several respects, Congress has conferred on the executive branch the power to make these decisions. So the president has that power. Should he choose to exercise it? Congress has that power. Should it choose to exercise it? States aren't required to take money from the federal government. But if they do, there can be conditions. And there often are. There always are. But then we get this issue of federalism itself. The vast majority of what our governments do at the federal and state level reject federalism. The fact that we have governors out of one side of their mouths talk about federalism, that they're free to shut down their states, they're free to force their citizens to wear face masks, they're free to shut down parishioners and cars on Easter Sunday, even though it has no effect on their health whatsoever. They claim absolute power to do such things. Absolute power. But then when it comes to funds, suddenly it's not a matter of federalism. It's a matter of federal government. So I put out this challenge yesterday, and I'll put it out again today. I told you the cases that are relevant here, the most important ones. I told you the cases that you need to look at, or these people need to look at which began the process of destroying federalism, undergirding centralization and the New Deal, and Franklin Roosevelt, there's your monarch right there. And they're all but ignored, of course, because it's too complicated to go back and look at the facts. It's better just to be part of the PAC mentality. Look at the 1937 National Labor Relations Board versus Jones and Laughlin Steel Corporation. Look at the granddaddy of them all, 1942, Look at that case, the Wickard versus Filburn case. Wickard versus a unanimous decision that commerce within a state is interstate commerce. <clears throat> and so therefore the federal government has the right to regulate it. So I would ask any of these people who say the president doesn't have the power to open up certain industries and businesses based on the intrastate activity that's been called interstate by the Supreme Court and that the left has used for 80 years. I'm not endorsing this. I'm explaining it. Then how is it if the president thinks certain activities in one state affects interstate commerce and can affect another state that he therefore doesn't have the power to act? That's absurd. That's absurd. Does the Constitution say that? Of course not. But the Supreme Court said it. And here is the keystone sentence from the Wickard versus Filburn 1942 decision. I hope all the newsrooms are listening. I hope all the anchors are listening. I'm not saying I support this. I'm saying this is what it is. It was a damnable decision. Here's the sentence. The stimulation of commerce 
The stimulation of commerce is a use of the regulatory function quite as definitively as prohibitions or restrictions thereon. That addresses what's going on today. In other words, the federal government has a right to reach into a state, onto a farm, into a factory, to stimulate commerce. Because that is as every bit legitimate of a federal power as regulating a function that definitely prohibits or restricts interstate commerce. That's the 9-0 to Supreme Court decision that gave you the New Deal, that gave you labor regulations, wage regulations, the EEOC, and on and on and on and on. So how can it be, and I don't even support this, But how can it be that this decision and decisions like it and this sentence don't apply to the most extreme example, certainly modern American history, if not American history, period, of governors exercising power over their economies in their states. And they acknowledge it affects the whole country. That's why they're going hat in hand, begging for trillions of dollars. How can you say it doesn't affect interstate commerce when we have 20 million people unemployed in this country and tens of thousands of businesses collapsing? How can you say it doesn't affect interstate commerce when these same governors out of the other side of their mouths are demanding federal relief? I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I went so long in the first segment. We're leaving the second segment, but I've got a lot more to review with you, so I hope you'll stick around. And we will be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. 
Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. But there's only one Mark Levin, and you can call him at 877-381-3811. All right. Property. What is property? Remember what I said earlier in the program? Well, your property rights are under attack right now by governors, by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx. That's not to say they're wrong completely. I wouldn't say that. But now we've reached a point. And you know what's interesting? This death rate, this fatality rate from this virus may well be in line with a bad flu season. It may well be in line with a bad flu season. 25% of the counties in this country are utterly unaffected by this virus. And the fatality rates are nothing close to what they predicted. Nothing. Close. It may be, when it comes to the fatality rates, that this is nothing more than you can compare it to a bad flu season. But look what's been done to our economy. What's private property? I think we should turn to James Madison. His own papers. Because unlike Obama who says, don't look back, I look back. I also look back at him and what a lousy president he was. This is very, very important. This is why so many of you are getting upset. This is why you had thousands of people rallying in Michigan. And I predict you're going to have this all over the country if they don't cut this out soon, these governors. Property. What is property? What does Madison say property is? Well, we know what he says. March 29, 1792. Says this term, property, in its particular application means that dominion which one man claims and exercises over the external things of the world, in exclusion of every other individual. In its larger and juster meaning, it embraces everything to which a man may attach a value and have a right, and which leaves to everyone else the like advantage. In the former sense, a man's land or merchandise or money is called his property. In the latter sense, a man has a property in his opinions and the free communication of them. Let me stop there. Have you noticed the more tyrannical the governor, the less liberty you have? The less ability you have to even gather and associate? I'm not talking about football-sized stadiums. With family and friends. This is Madison's point. They're interconnected. He has property of a peculiar value in his religious opinions. You notice how religious institutions by some governors have come under attack? And in the profession and practice dictated by them. He has a property very dear to him in the safety and liberty of his person. 
There is absolutely no reason for Cuomo now to be ordering everybody in New York who dares to step outside and is not six feet apart at every moment to wear a mask. He has an equal property in the free use of his faculties and the free choice of the objects on which to employ him. In a word, as a man is said to have a right to his property, he may be equally said to have a property in his rights. Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. Do you understand what he's saying here? Your liberty, your opinions, your religious freedom, your freedom of association and communication. Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. No man is safe in his opinions, his person, his faculties, or his possessions. Now, where there's an excess of liberty, means anarchy, the effect is the same, though from the opposite cause. Remember, he's a Republican, a small-r Republican. Not a populist, not a little D-Democrat. Government is instituted to protect property of every sort, he says. As well that which lies in the various rights of individuals. As that which the term particularly expresses. This being the end of government, that alone is a just government, which impartially secures to every man whatever is his own. His own opinion. His own faith. His own home property. Madison goes on. According to this standard of merit, the praise of affording a just securing to property should be sparingly bestowed on a government which, however scrupulously guarding the possessions of individuals, and again, it's not just material possessions, does not protect them in the enjoyment and communication of their opinions, in which they have an equal, and in the estimation of some a more valuable property. More sparingly should this praise be allowed to government, where a man's religious rights are violated by penalties, or fettered by tests, or taxed by a hierarchy. Conscience is the most sacred of all property, other property depending in part on positive law, the exercise of that being a natural and unalienable right. To guard a man's house as his castle, to pay public and enforce private debts with the most exact faith, can give no title to invade a man's conscience, which is more sacred than his castle, or to withhold from it that debt of protection for which the public faith is pledged by the very nature and original conditions of the social compact. What he's saying there is, what's the point of a social compact? What's the point of a society if your unalienable rights are not protected? Your God-given, natural, unalienable rights. And he's also saying no government, no government, no matter how formed with the best intentions, can be trusted in the end to protect them. That is not just government, nor is property secure under it, with a property which a man has in his personal safety and personal liberty is violated by arbitrary seizures of one class of citizens for the service of the rest. So he's rejecting completely Obama and Sanders and Biden and progressivism. That is not a just government, nor is property secure under it, where arbitrary restrictions, exemptions, and monopolies 
deny to part of its citizens that free use of their faculties and free choice of their occupations, which not only constitute their property in the general sense of the word, but the means of acquiring property, strictly so-called. My God, if he were seeing what some of these governors were doing today. What must be the spirit of legislation? Where a manufacturer of linen cloth is forbidden to bury his own child in a linen shroud in order to favor his neighbor who manufactures woolen cloth. Where the manufacturer and wearer of woolen cloth are again forbidden uh, the economic use of buttons of that material and favor the manufacturer of buttons of other materials. A just security to property is not afforded by that government under which unequal taxes oppress one species of property and reward another species where arbitrary taxes invade the domestic sanctuaries of the rich and excessive taxes grind the faces of the poor, where the keenness and competitions of want are deemed an insufficient spur to labor, and taxes are again applied by an unfeeling policy. He would say today these governors have an unfeeling policy, and they are stealing your private property rights, not just your material rights. And he goes on, does Madison, if you want to Google that, It's the papers of James Madison, edited by William Hutchison, University of Chicago Press, also University Press of Virginia, 1977. The title is Madison, Property. Now think about Ian Rand. Brilliant woman. Born in Russia. Escapes there, leaves Russia, and is a libertarian as a result of her own experiences. A philosopher. What does she say? What does she say? What does she say about private property rights? Now, she says a lot of things, but in part, the human ability to think, to evaluate, to create, to motivate is about private property. What did she mean by that? Sort of what Madison meant. Capitalism, private property rights, the market system. The mind is engaged. The mind works. The mind is open to discovery. The mind is open to new things. This, she says, is what's central to humanity, to the human being. And there's only one economic system that recognizes it, and that's capitalism, the market system. When the government's telling you what to do or what not to do, the more restrictive or autocratic the government, the less ability you have to think, to create, To be a human being. She was exactly right. Look at North Korea. Look at Cuba. Look at Venezuela. What are you doing? You're crawling on your hands and knees looking for food. Your mind is about basic survival. That's not a way to live, that's how you die. And so when we shut down factories and we shut down small businesses 
And we shut down strip mall. And we shut down one place after another. Pizzerias even, where people communicate, where they think, where they, where they uh, exchange ideas and debate ideas. You're destroying all of that. You're shutting it all down. And no governor thinks this way. Fauci and Burks don't think this way. I think this way. Which is why Obama says, don't look back, only look forward. He doesn't want you to look at Madison. I want you to look at him. He doesn't want you to look at the Enlightenment. He doesn't want you to look at Judeo-Christian principles. They don't want you to look at these things. Because in these things you find life. A reason for being. If you just look forward, you find government. And a reason for voting Democrat. Because they're going to give you stuff. In exchange for your liberty. And your property is broadly understood by James Madison and Ian Rand. This is another reason why people are getting upset, frustrated, and even angry. You put them out of work. You shut down your, their businesses, and you're taking from them more than material things. That would be enough. Survival is important, for God's sakes. But you're taking from them their ability to create and produce and to innovate. I'll be right back. love in. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Senator Christopher Murphy, a reprobate, senator from Connecticut, says the World Health Organization and the Chinese government there's, have nothing to be blamed for. It's Trump. So the people who are sick and dying in Connecticut, I want you to know what your senator believes. I just want you to know that. This is a very sick man, Christopher Murray. Murphy, rather. Christopher Murphy. It's a real sleazeball. And now more and more people believe, and the State Department does through its cables, that the coronavirus origin was a lab in Wuhan that does testing on all kinds of stuff, including viruses specific to bats. That seems logical. 
So when Senator Tom Cotton raised it on this program, what was it, six, eight weeks ago, and raised it elsewhere, he was attacked as a conspiracy nut. When I told him this really ought to be looked into very seriously, I was attacked as a conspiracy nut. The last three pandemics have come out of China, these terrible viruses. China, in my view, is doing biological and chemical weapon warfare research. That's what they're doing. That's why they don't want any of us and our experts or any experts from the West to really find out what took place. That's why their doctors disappeared and their citizen journalists disappeared and original data from China was destroyed and they bought and paid for the head of the World Health Organization to lie to the American people in the world. That's why this pandemic is worse than it might have otherwise been because China is, invest- is investing in all forms of warfare, all forms, cyber warfare, satellite warfare, electromagnetic warfare, nuclear warfare, conventional weapon warfare. China is on the move. China is very much a Reich, a Reich. And I believe China is conducting biological, biological and chemical uh, warfare uh, in, uh, research, and I believe this is part of it. And the media can attack me all they want. These lazy asses sit here in the United States in their basements, spend all day waking up trying to figure out how to attack our president. We covered more in one hour than most people with a camera in their face or microphone in their mouth cover in a week. Why? Because I prepare. Why? Because I know this stuff. Voting, all of a sudden, here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and the Democrats are pushing more voting. Now, what do I mean by that? Early voting, up to 45 days early. That was just signed into law in Virginia. A month and a half before the actual vote. Now, why are they doing that? I'll tell you in a second. And voting by mail, where you can actually print the ballot on your own printer, put it in an envelope, and mail it in. Why are the Democrats pushing this so hard right now? Because they're corrupt. Voter ID is racist, you see. Voter ID is racist. But they want to give you numbers or color-coded driver's licenses to make sure that if you have immunity or if you've been sick that they can see it right on your driver's license. They don't have a problem with monitoring you, checking you, except when it comes to voting. Then they don't want to see your ID. They want to see your ID. You're on the street illegally. Pull over. Show me your ID. Uh, But when it comes to voting, no ID. Why? These rules are put in place to help the left and the Democrats cook the elections. It's disgusting. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I have a question, ladies and gentlemen. Who's the third person in line to be president of the United States? Do you know who, Mr. Producer? You have the president, the vice president. That's right. Then the Speaker of the House. Nancy Stretch Pelosi. America, do you know where Nancy Pelosi is today? Neither do I. What has Nancy Pelosi been doing to try and help rally the nation through this matter, through this crisis? What has she been doing? Going on TV from her home, attacking the President of the United States. But I mean, what is it that she has proposed? Massive spending. In other words, she's not contributing anything. She's hiding. She's hiding from the virus. She's the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Where's the rest of Congress? They're hiding. They're sheltering in place. They don't even show up for work and wear masks. Or rubber gloves. Maybe they don't have rubber gloves, Mr. Producer. Well, then let them put condoms on their fingers, you know. But the fact of the matter is, they're not functioning. And yet, even though I despise many of them, I see the governors. Most of them are showing up for work. But Nancy Pelosi's not showing up for work. Even if it's just her and a relative handful of staff and a relative handful of so-called Democrat Party leaders... Shouldn't they at least be showing the American people that they can come to work? I mean, you've got men and women who are growing our food, who are harvesting our food, who are packaging our food, who are transporting our food, who are putting the food on our shelves, who are selling us the food, who are bagging the food. These unsung heroes in the food supply chain We've got our, our police forces and our firefighters and emergency personnel, our doctors and our nurses, the hospital staff, all working. They're not all sheltering in place. Where's Nancy Pelosi? Where's at least some of Congress? I don't know. Where are they? They're busy fundamentally transforming America. They want to put together a committee to investigate Trump. Imagine that. Why don't they just call it the Permanent Committee to Investigate Trump? But Nancy Pelosi has not really shown herself to be terribly, well, statesmanlike. She's clearly not a leader. She just shows up now and then, more then than now, in her Joe Biden sort of speech incompetence, incoherence. To take a shot at the President of the United States and demand more spending. Apparently she doesn't believe in federalism the way Cuomo does. I'm serious about this. Where is she? She's third in line to be President of the United States. Where is she? We know she's not in Chinatown, even though a few months ago she said, Come to Chinatown. It's wonderful here, Parade. Come to Chinatown. You idiot. By the way, that's a mimicking of her. That's my Nancy Pelosi voice, best I can do. 
And the other problem is I can't do her eyes because I do need to blink, especially with this hemorrhage on the left, behind the left eye. But anyway, where's Nancy Pelosi? Where's Waldo? One of the great governors throughout all this, because he's under attack like the president is and so forth, has been Ron DeSantis of Florida. That's a big state, multiple metropolitan areas, heavily you know, populated, dense areas. It's obviously a huge tourism state. He has done an absolutely brilliant job of managing this virus for his state. And he's under attack by all the left-wing newspapers, particularly in South Florida. And boy, are they vicious. So Florida has beaten the surge, as Robert Stacey McCain writes at the American Spectator. The Sunshine State's COVID-19 peak is over. Will the media notice? Less than two weeks ago, the number of new coronavirus cases reported in Florida hit a one-day peak, a key metric that has since declined by about 20%. The third most populous state in America has reported a cumulative total of about 21,000 cases of COVID-19. And this was written today. Which means the Sunshine State's per capita infection rate is about 90% lower than New York's. For some reason, though, the good news from Florida hasn't been reported in the national media, nor has it gotten significant coverage in the local press. Here are the critical data points. On Friday, April 3, Florida reported 1,597 positive tests for the coronavirus. That was more than double the 729 positive tests a week earlier on March 27. Now, we might suspect that more widespread testing could have led to the spike on April 3rd, since the number of tests performed also increased from about 7,000 daily to more than 11,000. During that one-week span, of course, in the 10 days following the April 3 peak, however, the average daily number of tests reported remained around 11,000, but the number of new cases declined. For the five-day work week from Monday, April 6, through Friday, April 10, weekend reporting sometimes erratic, Florida reported a total of 5,491 new coronavirus uh, cases, an average of roughly 1,098 new cases daily. The highest single-day total last week, 1,194 on April 6, was still significantly below the April 3 peak. Now, the number of new cases reported this Monday was about 12% below last week's average. Now, one doesn't need an advanced degree in epidemiology, but just basic arithmetic to see that the dreaded surge of coronavirus cases, which some credentialed experts had warned would overwhelm Florida's hospital system, has not happened. In fact, fewer than 3,000 coronavirus patients have ever been hospitalized in the state of Florida, since the state reported its first two cases on March 1. Fewer than 3,000 cases of people who've been hospitalized for the virus. Given the steady decline in new cases since April 3, there is no reason to expect a sudden upward spike in the future. To use the terminology employed by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo in his daily coronavirus briefings, Florida has already passed the apex of its curve. Now, this encouraging development has made no headlines in Florida. 
but where journalists have ignored the downward trend in new cases and instead have focused on the cumulative total of cases, which of course increases every day by a simple process of addition, and the daily death toll. The Miami Herald headline Tuesday, this Tuesday, was Florida has deadliest day with 72 COVID-19 deaths, 34 in Miami-Dade, surpasses 21,500 cases. Well, the Orlando Sentinel headline was state had 72 deaths, making it deadliest day of the outbreak, five more deaths in Orange County. As anyone who has tracked the worldwide coronavirus pandemic knows, however, the daily death toll is a lagging indicator of the outbreak's progress. In Italy, the peak number of deaths, 919, was March 27th, six days after the daily number of new cases peaked. And he points that out. Now, he says Florida's fatalities are a fraction of those in America's hardest-hit states. According to CNN, Florida had three deaths per 100,000 population as of this Tuesday, while the similar figure shows 56 for New York, 32 for New Jersey, 22 for Louisiana, and 18 for Michigan. Florida, three. Is it too much to expect news coverage to provide some perspective? In the midst of a pandemic, five states, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Michigan, and Louisiana, had a combined 17,385 reported COVID-19 deaths as of Tuesday, according to CNN. And that total is 67% of all deaths from the virus. So almost 7 in 10 of the deaths from the virus occurred in five states. Five states. Similarly, Florida's coronavirus outbreak is concentrated in three counties, Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach, which combined have 59% of the state's reported cases, almost 6 in 10. There are 17 counties in Florida that have fewer than 10 each, and another 14 counties that have fewer than 50 each. Much of the state has scarcely been affected by the outbreak, yet all 21 million residents remain under a statewide lockdown order. How much longer? Not much longer. And strangely enough, despite clear evidence that Florida's pandemic has passed its peak, the same experts whose predictions have failed so often before are forecasting the state's outbreak will get worse. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, IHME, issued a new projection for Florida on Monday, as the Orlando Sentinel reported. As recently as Friday, it had forecast Florida's coronavirus outbreak peak would be on April 26th, but Monday's forecast pushed this peak back to May 3rd, while increasing the predicted number of total deaths. Well, if Floridians keep social distancing and the number of new cases continues declining daily, not even the media's hatred of DeSantis can conceal the gap between what the model predicts and the state's own data. Hunker down and flatten the curve, Florida. I've got a couple of grandkids down there, and I'm planning to see them before June. The reason they hate DeSantis is because he's a conservative. He's supported by the president and vice versa. Because he didn't take the draconian steps that some of these other governors took. Like DeWine in Ohio, who really had no basis for doing what he did, and he just announced today that really Ohio won't open until there's a vaccine. DeWine has gone full left-wing progressive. This isn't about the health and safety of the population of Ohio. As we've talked many times, he takes 
No consideration of the health effects of a shutdown. What it does to one's livelihood, what it does to one's mental state, what it does to the the medical specialists and their staffs, which have offices that are barely running, some of closing. You have hospitals that are going broke. It's very expensive to run a hospital. Nobody asked DeWine about any of that. And when I spoke to Governor DeSantis, and he is, trust me, top shelf, he pointed out a week ago that before the virus, the hospital beds were over 80% occupied. Now they're barely 60% occupied. People with maladies and ailments who should be seeing doctors, many are not because of the employment situation or because these uh, medical facilities are so focused on the virus. And, uh, and that, that means that other areas are uh, not covered adequately. One day this will all be figured out, but it might be too late. I hope not. Florida should be the example. Governor DeSantis should be the example. Not the totalitarian governors. DeSantis. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Betsy McCauley was the former lieutenant governor, meant to get to this yesterday, actually, of New York. She's also a medical expert. And she wrote a piece yesterday, Shutdown Could Kill More Americans Than COVID-19. Thursday's unemployment update confirms that over the last three weeks, nearly 17 million Americans have been laid off because of the shutdown. That's one-tenth of the nation's workforce. It's not just an economic fact. It's a public health disaster. And so I hope the governors and Fauci and Bricks are all listening. And she says, it's almost certain to kill more Americans than the coronavirus. The academics and public health officials who've concocted models of the virus's spread are telling us that we have to continue the shutdown to save thousands of lives. But none of their models considers the deaths that will be caused by unemployment. Before the virus hit, America's unemployment rate was 3.5%, the lowest in half a century. Now Goldman Sachs predicts unemployment could spike to 15% by mid-year. 15%. A St. Louis Federal Reserve economist grimly predicts 32%, worse than the Great Depression. The highest year of unemployment in the Great Depression, by the way, was 23%. 
No model of guesswork is required to foresee the deadly impact. Job losses cause extreme suffering. Every 1% hike in the unemployment rate will likely produce a 3.3% increase in drug overdose deaths and about a 1% increase in suicides, according to data provided by the National Bureau of Economic Research and the medical journal Lancet. These are facts based on experience, not models. If unemployment hits 32%, some 77,000 Americans are likely to die from suicide and drug overdoses as a result of layoffs. Scientists call these fatalities deaths of despair. Then add the predictable deaths from alcohol abuse caused by unemployment. Health economist Michael French from the University of Miami and co-author found a significant association between job loss and binge drinking alcoholism. The impact of layoffs goes beyond suicide, drug overdoses, and drinking. Overall, the death rate for an unemployed person is 63% higher than for someone with a job, according to the findings in social science and medicine. Layoff-related deaths are likely to far outnumber the 60,400 coronavirus deaths predicted through August. This comparison is not meant to understate the horror of the virus for those who get it in their families. But heavy-handed state edicts to close all so-called non-essential businesses need to be reassessed in the light of the predictable harm to the lives and health of the uninfected. The shutdown was originally explained as a way to flatten the curve, allowing time to expand health care capacity so lives would not be needlessly lost in overwhelmed hospitals. When the shutdown is lifted, cases will increase, and some epidemiologists predict the virus could return in a second wave this fall. But as President Trump reported Friday, hospitals are ready now, supplied with ventilators, caregivers, and beds. Some cities are now oversupplied. Even New York State, with half the cases in the nation, reports enough beds. Temporary bed capacity, they're provided by the U.S. Navy and U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, is largely empty and unneeded. And Trump's social distancing guidelines expire April 30, suggesting the possibility of restarting parts of the economy shortly thereafter. To make any reopening possible, schools should resume in most places so working parents can return to jobs. Even in New York State, the coronavirus epicenter, with almost half the deaths, only one child under 10 has died. One. Some 84% of fatalities in New York are people over 60. When America faced a polio epidemic in the 1950s, schools were shut down because polio disproportionately impacted children. It makes little sense with coronavirus, which usually spares the young. Now, the president has announced a committee focused on how to reopen America for business. That's a reassuring sign. Won't be done by a flick of the switch. It'll depend on testing, on accommodations employers make to help workers feel safe and so forth. But the president's public health advisors are saying the virus will determine the timetable. Mr. President, listen to the silent majority. Excuse me. I'm sneezing to the truth. Mr. President. Listen to the silent majority, because they know better than the rest. I'll be back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. 
only constitutional lawyer you can see today for free. No appointment necessary. Just call him at 877-381-3811. The uh, call screen has been full, so we're going to take some calls. People wait a long time. You know, computer systems and cars are the new normal, from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But you can fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost a fortune, right? And now is not the time for expensive repairs. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. You can hardly afford for something major to happen to your car, and it will at some point. And now would be the worst time. So CarShield has helped over 1 million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection company, For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000. Mention code LEVIN. 800-CAR-6000. Code LEVIN. And you'll get 10% off. Or visit carshield.com. Use code LEVIN. L-E-V-I-N. Again, you'll get 10% off. That's carshield.com. Code LEVIN. Or 800-CAR-6000. Code LEVIN. A deductible may apply. Paul, San Francisco, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hello. How are you, Mark? I am okay. Hey, I just wanted to make a comment referencing what you uh, said earlier. We're talking about Nancy Pelosi. Yes, where is she? I have no idea, but she's proven by her actions she's a non-essential employee. Oh, I like that. Nancy Pelosi is non-essential. I Uh, like that. most of Congress, it looks like, since they're hiding and sheltering place, or sheltering in place people, not essential. <laughs> I can just see these members. They're such cowards. No offense. Sheltering in place. Uh, I, I, you're right. They're non-essential. And you know what? That's kind of one good thing that's come out of this. Although they do seem to show up to vote for big, big spending bills. At least some of them do. Uh, uh, but I think uh, one of the... One of the things we saw here is that a part-time Congress might be a good thing. Uh, yes, it would be. All right. That was excellent. Nancy Pelosi is a non-essential worker. She doesn't show up. By the way, she's a multimillionaire. She and her husband are worth tens of millions. Have you ever heard her say, you know what, I'm going to cut my salary? Here you have Donald Trump who gives away his salary every year to some department of government or some charity. He's not allowed to just give it to anyone he wants to, by the way. That's how much government controls everybody. But every year he gives away his salary. Nancy Pelosi doesn't. She and her dumb husband, her doofus husband, they're worth tens of millions of dollars. Nobody knows how they made their money, by the way. And you're not allowed to ask. Let's continue. Greg, Jupiter, Florida, the great WJNO. How's Jupiter right now? How's your buddy Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski? Are they roaming the streets like homeless people? Yeah, I hope so. You know they live oh, there. No. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. They oh, live on, on Jupiter. They come from Mars. But it could be worse. I guess they could, they could live in uh, Uranus. You know, that's, that's quite a planet, Uranus, there. <laughs> oh, this is uh, Dr. Levin. That, it is. Thank you. 
Well, what an honor. So I met you uh, a few years ago with my brother Don out in Huntington at a book signing with you and your wife. You're uh, you're quite a guy, you know. I, we, Thank we, you. we all admire you and uh, and everything that you've uh, that you're doing. You know, we had a wonderful time. You know what? I don't even know if we can do book signings anymore. Now that I'm thinking about this, it's not me. It would be the bookstores. So who knows? Anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I just wanted. To, you know, I have a friend of oh, mine. But you know what's good about it? Antifa can't meet. Black Lives Matter can't meet. You know, their side. How are they going to beat up people and burn things down? Well, that's true. That's true. It's, uh, we're ready for the uh, ruckus, right? We're yes. ready for the ruckus. Anyway, your dime. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, oh, well, um, <clears throat> I, I just wanted to tell you, I, had a, uh, I have a good friend of mine who came here legally from Cuba. And, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, your property. You were speaking about that earlier. And um, uh, the, uh, he, he said, you know, they took our bank account and they took our house. What else do you need to know? And... Um, you know, that's, you know, the desperation um, of the people that, that leave on rafts from Cuba. I mean, you're making an extraordinarily important point. There are ways to take property and there are ways to pre- take property and there are pretexts to take property. And property means everything because it's more than the physical. It's 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 connected to you. It's connected to your soul. It's connected to your mind. Property the property of your opinion, the property of your body, the property, the material property, the land that you own, and so forth and so on. This is how you've invested and do invest the the time you have on earth. And when somebody comes by and they control it, tax you out of it, tell you to shut it down, you got people who've spent 20, 30 years building a small, a little business, a one-man or woman operation, maybe a few family members, maybe a dry cleaner, a pizzeria, a haircut place, a nails place, whatever it is. And they're closed, and they can't make any money. And everybody said, don't worry, we'll take care of you. No, you're not going to take care of them. You're not going to. The government can't replace what they've lost. They've lost their property. They've lost their, 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 their ingenuity. They've lost their creativity. They've lost their ability to do these things every day. They've lost their social relations every day. And so when I hear doctors like Dr. Fauci, Make light of this, despite what somebody wrote at National View. He makes light of it. He never talks about it. It's really quite appalling to me. It, it is. And, uh, you know, we're at a scary turning point right here. And uh, you I know, agree. I, again, I, I really uh, admire everything you, you, you say, Mark. And, um, you know, you've been gifted through God somehow mm. that, um, you know, you, you're such a brilliant man. And, uh, you well, know, God, I don't know God about that, but I appreciate well, it. Well, you are, sir. I, well, uh, and, you know, my mom, you know, I know you, you lost your mom and dad uh, not too long ago, and I just lost my mom in, uh, not too, in December. And uh, she, she listened to you for years and years. And uh, oh, my we, all, we, all, we always, uh, you know, appreciate you on the, uh, what you do for, for America. I, I, I cannot tell you. That, that cuts right to my heart and soul when you tell me your mother used to listen to this program and she passed away. I get calls like this, and I am so blessed and I, I really am sorry she passed away. Greg, God bless you, my friend. And if you happen to bump into Scarborough and Brzezinski down in Jupiter, turn around and run in the other direction as fast as you can. Let us continue, shall we? Yes, we can. Stephen, Great Falls, Montana, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? You're on. Yes. St- Stephen, go right yes. ahead. <clears throat> I was uh, reading the U.K. Daily Mail and the U.K. Sun, and it turns out that the United States National Institute of Health 
has been funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology to study these coronaviruses. I believe I read, and I could be wrong, over $3 million. Yes, Something sir. to that effect. If they were feeding the virus to piglets, then killing the pigs, grinding them up, and feeding them to other pigs oh, to wonderful. test the transmissibility of the disease. Well, I told you, I've, t- I've taken the bridge over to the next line, which is, uh, I think these people, that is the government, the regime, the leaders, whatever you want to call them, are involved in a biological and chemical warfare um, uh, research. I think that's exactly what's going on. Well, and I think this, you. and I think that stuff escaped. Uh, I think we now see State Department cables that not necessarily agree with what I just said, but they agree that, or they suggest that this virus came out of that lab. And why else would the Chinese Communist Party be trying to cover up all of its trails here? Absolutely. We're borrowing money from them to pay them to kill us. Yeah, well, maybe we ought to tell them to stick it. Now, Stephen, you're in Great Falls, Montana. Uh, Any cases in Great Falls, Montana that you're aware of? Uh, We have a few, yes. Mm -hmm. There have been seven fatalities in the state, but most of the problems appear to be in uh, Bozeman, Missoula. And how many people in your state have died from cancer in the last 10 weeks? Uh, We don't know. How many have died from heart attacks? Uh, There's been quite a few. Why why don't don't they track that and put that out so people have context? They don't. No, they don't want to. All right, my friend, I appreciate it. I wonder, Mr. Producer, can we build like a bunker, a safe house in Montana? Just have to have a fast way to get there. I don't know how to get there that fast. Well, how do we get there? Not you. I mean, how do I get there? (laughs) Just kidding. Greg Bentendorf, Iowa, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Greg? How are you? I'm great. God bless you, pal. You too, my friend. Uh, You know, what we have... uh, uh, I've, I've had some physical problems in the past six months, and it's coming up to to show me that I'm outliving a great number of folk here. I'm just about a year younger than your dad was. So you're 93. Have all these people struggling with the physical, mental, spiritual, financial effects upon our republic. Mm -hmm. We're not looking at the sorts of things that you're mentioning. How many people have died from other things? We need to put this problem in its appropriate respective uh, position. We're not allowed to. They won't let us. Anytime I mention it, I'm slammed. But I'm going to keep mentioning it. They can go to hell. Yeah. Uh, I think think your your dad probably took you down Broad Street in New York, in, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, oh yeah. And when all those folk were standing out there in, in bread lines, it's atrocious. It's something that I, as a little kid, remember. And we've been so euchred into the challenge by media and public indifference that we believe these guys. We believe that that uh, they actually have us thinking that that Trump has a program and he should reveal it to us. How stupid. How stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that if you have 
in in a in in a general patent way, and I believe Trump has elements of general patent. He's telling people what he wants done. He is not general patent did not say this is how I precisely want you to do it. This is how I want it done. This is what I want done. And the media is getting all upset that they don't know prior to it so that they literally can reveal it to our enemies. The, and- the media in America exists today for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to destroy this president and insert a radical leftist into the Oval Office. That is their mission. They wake up with this mission. They go to sleep with this mission. That is their mission. That is their only mission, not to inform the American people. They are a disgrace. Uh, They have done a great deal to undermine this republic. And, sir, I want to thank you. You're 93 years old. Uh, You make brilliant, brilliant points. And I want you to call again, and God bless you. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. For all our sakes, it's easy to avoid crowds, really. And you want to avoid crowds, tight crowds, right? We do believe in that. And I want to help you. What if you need to go to the post office? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages? You know you do. You don't have to worry anymore. Stamps.com is here to help you. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want, and anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. And no human contacts required. It's that simple. And now in addition to offering discounted U.S. postal service rates, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discount rates up to 62%. Plus, with Stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential charges. So right now, you, my listeners, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial. Perfect timing. Plus free postage. Plus a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and you have to type in the word bunker. That's stamps.com. Enter bunker. Stamps.com. Type in bunker and stay safe, my friends. Excellent piece by Heather McDonald. Coronavirus racial disparities missed the bigger picture. You've been hearing a lot of this lately. The press conferences and by others. And she writes, these black and Hispanic virus deaths are a tragedy, especially for the victims' families and acquaintances. But many of the same politicians and race activists who are now so incensed by coronavirus deaths, and some of these reporters too, have been virtually silent for years about far greater disparities in black-white fatality rates, those that result from urban crime. Black New Yorkers may be 27.5% of known coronavirus deaths, but they were 62.6% of murder and non-negligent manslaughter victims in the city in 2018. The percentage of black coronavirus fatalities in Chicago may be shocking 
in Mayor Lightfoot's words, but she should be more shocked by Black's 83% share of Chicago's homicide victim totals from April 7, 2019 through April 7, 2020, and the day of the mayor's remarks. As April 7 progressed, seven more people were killed in Chicago during a 24-hour shooting spree. They claimed 28 victims, including a five-year-old girl. Those homicide victimization disparities exist everywhere in the United States. Nationwide, blacks died of homicide in 2016 at nearly seven times the rate of whites and Hispanics combined. Black males died of homicide at over eight times the rate of white and Hispanic males combined. Got it? The 7,756 black homicide victims in 2016 constituted 51% of the nation's death toll though blacks are only 13.4% of the population. Politicians and the media ignore these disparities because they are not fruitful material for promoting the racism narrative. The popular argument that the criminal justice system is racist depends on concealing the crime that leads to higher black incarceration rates. And talking about black victimization would mean talking about black black criminal offending since black victims' assailants are overwhelmingly killed by other blacks. Senators Warren and Harris and Cory Booker, joined by Representatives Presley and Kelly, suggested in a March 27 letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar that blacks may not be tested for COVID-19 because of the implicit bias that every medical professional carries around with them, quote-unquote. Such an assertion of bias would surprise emergency room doctors and nurses who work desperately, sometimes in the face of abuse and threats, to save the lives of gangbangers gunned down by rivals, only to see those same rivals wheeled in the next night with equally life-threatening wounds. Public officials and community leaders should strive to reduce the minority virus death rate, just as they should try to reduce all groups' death rates. But they would save many more black lives than are currently being lost to the virus by supporting the proactive policing that deters violent street crime. And they would do more to improve minority health by acknowledging that the underlying medical conditions that lead to higher rates of viral infections have a large behavioral component as well. She's a very courageous scholar, Heather McDonald, a very courageous scholar. And she's exactly right. Very little talk about the death rates of black, particularly black males, which are through the roof. And the vast majority of whom are killed by other black males, usually very young, often in gangs. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin
Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, um, we spent a lot of time on this program, on the cutting edge, leading the, uh, the pack on a lot of issues here. And one of them has been, what do we mean by fatality? And, of course, the press wants to defend whatever the official government bureaucracy puts out, but they couldn't tell you. So I did what I normally do. I did my research, and I found the form that the feds have given to doctors and hospitals to fill out relative to the coronavirus. And what did we find out? We found out that the feds are telling these hospitals, these doctors, that if you can't account for why the person has died, put coronavirus code. If they have coronavirus, and you cannot tell if that's the main reason they passed, put coronavirus code. If they have some other malady, even an awful malady, severe heart disease and so forth and so on, and if they pass away, and you're not sure whether it was because of the heart disease, but in other words, the primary cause, put the coronavirus code in the system. So there's two issues here. Number one, we're looking at the fatality rate, which is much lower, much lower than, uh, than we were told originally and was challenged on this program. Now it's been one, two, three, four, four, almost a month, almost a month. And the definition, just because out of curiosity, I couldn't get an answer of how you code in or how you determine uh, what the reason, the primary reason for the person's death is. Not a contributing reason, the primary reason, which is relative, it can be relatively complicated. Uh, the default code for the doctors in the hospitals that put into their, their laptops and their data is the coronavirus. So even that number, which is <clears throat> moving towards 30,000 nationwide over the last 10 weeks, um, even that number, we cannot be 100% sure that some percentage of that number really were people who died for other reasons or primarily for other reasons. And we now have the mayor of New York. This guy is a complete scuzz. He just is. Uh, they're changing the definition. <clears throat> so they had an increase in one day by going back and redefining some of the deaths of almost 3,000 in one day. That's not 3,000 new deaths, but that's 3,000 now that have been applied to the total of the coronavirus. Now, one of the things I'm also noticing, folks, is less and less are we getting these charts on these screens 24-7 which have the number of people who've been tested for and confirmed with the virus and the number of people who've died. You'll remember that was endless, and it was relentless, and it drove the newsrooms. They kept talking about it, and it was also dishonest. Weeks and weeks of dishonesty, because the numbers were never exactly right. But even that said, people would confuse the number on the left, the total of confirmed cases with the denominator, and they'd look... For the numerator, the number of people who died, and they get a percent, that's not right. We don't know what the denominator is, even today. 
But enough statisticians who are true experts have looked at this to know that it's going to be under 1%. And it may be way under 1% of those who actually get the virus. And here is even Governor Slow Cuomo at his press briefing today telling him what the CDC wants them in New York to report, where about half of everything has happened. It's been a disaster, and I feel very, very bad for the people in New York, especially New York City and the metropolitan area. Cut five, go. The total losses, total number of deaths number, the CDC uh, changed guidelines on how they want information reported. They want deaths, so, and then another category of probable deaths, uh, which is a, a new category that's done by the local Department of Health or the uh, coroner. So as you can see, a lot is subjective. And so are we going to get the number of probable coronavirus-related deaths or the actual number of coronavirus deaths? I still don't know. We still don't know. We don't know. And, of course, the media could care less. It's really... uh, Amazing to me. President's upset that the, at least the Senate's not in place because he can't get anything done. They can't get any, uh, as an example, they can't get, get judges confirmed. Let us take a listen to Robert Redfield, the CDC director on Good Morning America today, and I want to respond to what he says here. Cut 12, go. Is a second wave inevitable? I think we have to uh, assume this is uh, like other respiratory viruses, um, and uh, there will be a seasonality to it. So let's let's stop there. All these respiratory viruses don't have a seasonality to them. I don't know. Is SARS a seasonal virus? No. Was the Spanish flu a seasonal virus? No. This is a CYA. I told you this before. This everybody mitigates, everybody hunkers down, addresses the emergency of the moment, but it prevents, as we've talked about ad nauseum here, this herd immunity. So a large number of the population will not get this virus. And so it's an aggressive virus in terms of people catching it. So you'll have another wave as a result of the decisions that Fauci and Burks have promoted. <clears throat> now, I'm not criticizing them for this, but it has consequences. It has absolute consequences. And the consequence will be that there'll be other breakouts. Now, I also believe that the number of people in this country who have or had the virus far exceeds what people believe. But there maybe there's 10, 20, 30 million people, maybe 40, 50 million people who didn't get the virus. And that means they will be susceptible to getting the virus. And so the way the CDC covers its butt is to say it's going to be seasonal, like other respiratory viruses. Well, all respiratory viruses aren't, quote unquote, seasonal. Uh, the flu is a problem. It mutates. Different kinds of flus and so forth. You can take a vaccine, but they might be off because it might be a different, co- a different uh, 
flu and so forth. But one of the things I've been reading is that this particular virus, at least for now, is, doesn't mutate or mutates very little. So in that sense, that's a good thing. But I'm only bringing this up because when you hear them talk about it could be seasonal, will be seasonal, it'll be back, that's why. When you hear Fauci say, don't shake hands, you might as well say, don't touch tables, don't touch chairs, don't touch doorknobs, don't touch stuff, you know, wear the gloves forever. Uh, because what he's also saying there, because the, 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 the virus isn't unique to the hand, it's, it, it's on surfaces. Human-to-human contact, I understand, but you get a human-to-doorknob contact and still get it. That's why you're wearing gloves. Uh, but my point is, um, that's why he's saying that, don't shake hands, uh, because he knows and I know that there's millions of people in this country who will not have had the virus, but who will now be vulnerable to it, uh, because it's a very aggressive virus. So they, took, they obviously took that off the table early on. And we had an expert on this program last week who said, absolutely the wrong idea. You protect the elderly, protect people with these underlying issues. We knew enough to do that. And uh, the rest of the population uh, needs to be free. I mean, we can have some mitigation in the rest of the population. That's not a terrible idea. But mostly, they need to be free to get the virus, deal with it for a few weeks, and let it pass. And we're talking about Statistics, again, even though we're talking about human beings, but the goal is to, to apply that concept of herd uh, immunity to 60 or 70 percent of the population, by my reading. In that way, the virus actually does work through the system. It doesn't last forever. Maybe it'll last in a person a week, two weeks, 17 days, and then it works its way through. And the fewer people through herd immunity who have that virus, then the sooner the elderly and the sooner the other people who are more susceptible to it, that is to uh, death rates, uh, the sooner uh, they will be protected too. Because fewer and fewer people out and about will have the virus. And that's the whole notion of herd immunity. So that's why they're talking about, well, yeah, I think it's going to be a seasonality. Seasonality. That's what they think. Uh, unfortunately, I think it'll come back, maybe not seasonal, maybe just little waves here and there because of the very reason I stated. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I want you to hear some of the things that are going on out there. We have this Michigan mayor, Gretchen Whitmer, who really is a disaster. And she's on the Today Show today. And I want you to see how flip she is about stealing your liberties in Michigan. Cut four, go. The overwhelming majority of governors in this country, as you know, have issued stay-at-home orders, but yours uh, have, have been uh, considered to be among the most stringent in this country. Um, folks who have vacation homes in Michigan, if they're residents, they're not being allowed to travel to those vacation homes. Uh, you're, you're asking stores that sell things like, you know, paint and garden supplies, uh, having those stores shut down, not considering them essential. What, what's, what, what's the thinking behind uh, your particular state? at home order. Well, let me tell you this. Michigan has the third most COVID-19 cases in the nation right now, and we are not the third largest state in the nation. That tells you we've got a unique crisis on our hands and that it demands a unique uh, solution. So we just had snow. I've got snow on the ground here in Michigan right now in Lansing. We're expecting you know, up to 30 inches in the Upper Peninsula. The fact that we're cracking down on people traveling between homes or planting or um, landscaping or golfing, really for a couple more weeks isn't going to meaningfully impact people's ability to do it because the snow will do that in and of itself. Did you know it's snowing all over Michigan? How stupid is this woman? That's number one. Number two, listen to her fascistic reasoning. We're not the largest state, obviously, she says in population, but we have the third largest number of cases. So you still handle this, quote unquote, scientifically, not like a tyrant. You go into the nursing homes, the assisted living locations. You go where the people are who are most vulnerable, the senior citizens, others who have heart disease and these other maladies. And you tell them, you in particular, we're targeting you for good reason. We want to save your lives. Just give us a few weeks, maybe give us a month. But some schlub who wants to go into the paint store to get paint so he can paint his house because he's got nothing else to do. Or go to a, uh, a, 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 a garden center so they can plant stuff because they have nothing else to do? What's the point of that? And these private companies, these private bit, they know how to do this stuff. They're not going to let people, they, you know, they're not going to have a rugby scrum in the middle of Home Depot. It's not going to happen. They're not going to have a kissing booth, you know, at Sharon Williams uh, paint store. I know I go around, I drive around, I look at what's going on. Half the time, I don't even get out of the car, I just see that people know how to cope in these stores. So her argument, you know, just generally, platitudinous argument, it's not good enough to do what you're doing as far as I'm concerned. So this is Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. Then we have Chuck Schumer on MSNBC last night pushing out a lie that's been out there all day today and yesterday that Donald Trump held back checks to help people because he wanted his signature on the checks. It's a lie. It's a lie. The Treasury Department said the timing of the release of the checks has been in works in the works for a week. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump's signature. I mean, hell, somebody's signature has to be on the check or you can't even deposit it, let alone cash it. So that's been a lie, and it's been going on all day long, because that's what the media do. I'm surprised they didn't say 
Donald Trump was waiting to get Vladimir Putin to sign every check personally. Cut six, go. Wanted to ask you, I mean, the, the president isn't a legal signatory to checks like this. I think they're, no. the Washington Post describes that they're actually going to have to put his name on the memo line instead of on the signature line. This seems like a, sort of a remarkable ego trip from the president, particularly if it's going to have material. So here they are covering a crisis. Does it sound like it's a crisis when people are talking this way? Boy, what a nitwit is she. And of course, her idiot guest is Schumer, who's hiding out. You know, Trump is a brave man when you see this. There he is. He's in front of the media every day. He's meetings every day. He's following the social distancing and all the rest that they're telling him to do. He's leading the country. Where are these other knuckleheads? Go ahead. In terms of when people get their money. I agree. I Rachel, I wish Stop a second. First of all, it's not their money. When people get money. Not their money. Uh, Rachel, of course I agree. Of course I agree, Rachel. I've had to suffer as a result of these shelter and home thing, you know. My uh, hair replacement, uh, my hair replacement shop isn't done, you know, drilling holes in my head. and I have a whole new cornrow that's supposed to be put in place here. You know, we're supposed to lower the, the hairline closer to the eyebrows, you know. And here I am, stuck. In Queens, New York, in, in, my, in my basement here. Go ahead. Ego trip. It seems almost every day the president thinks this crisis revolves about him. You know, you know, it's amazing to me. The president's out there every day. The president's making actual decisions. The president is breaking his ass over this. And then you have this lame brain who doesn't do a damn thing, who's in hiding. Who's in hiding. You have him doing nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, the president thinks about him, about him. Go ahead. Desires his needs, his enemies. I mean, look at today. Look, let's take two things side by side. He goes after the WHO. What good is it? How is it going to make the country better? Ladies and gentlemen, the WHO lied to America. It's headed by a, it, well, I would argue the guy's a terrorist, but regardless, a thug. Out of Ethiopia, he does China, the China, Chinese Communist Party's bidding. They gave us false information, even about masks. They covered up. They said this wasn't a person-to-person virus, when at that point they knew it was. And this jerk Schumer wants to keep giving him half a billion dollars. And so when the president says, no, hold on there. Let's figure out what's going on with these guys before we give them any more money. Schumer says, no. So here we have the communist China wing of the Democrat Party, led by Chucky Schmucky Schumer. Who knew? Giving aid and comfort to the communist regime in China as they give aid and comfort to the fascist regime in Moscow. Their hate for Trump knows no bounds. These are truly sick people. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, the most passionate conservative on radio. Talk with him now at 877-381-3811. All right, let's take some of our callers, shall we? Yes, we can. Let's see. Let's go to Shannon, Lafayette, Louisiana, XM Satellite. Go. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Mark, um, let me start off by just saying it's an absolute honor to speak to you, sir. You're Thank you. Um, I just wanted to offer a little, I don't know, a- anecdotal conversation on this unknown denominator and, and completely overblown numerator on, on cases. Um, I, I was a confirmed positive, but at the same time, my my wife, who's 35 years old, my, my youngest son who lives with us, who is 10, and me, who's 43, um, the both of them were also sick. We're a hundred percent sure they had it, but it was at the beginning, so they didn't get tested. So whereas there was one person living in the home positive, it's three times the number. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure this is happening all over the country. I think you're right. And uh, this is why people say more and more test, test, test. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to find out that this uh, rate of fatalities was so much lower than expected, so much lower than predicted, so much lower than modeled, that people are going to get kind of furious about this. They really do. And they're not going to buy the argument from Fauci and the rest that if it wasn't for them, it would be much higher. Maybe if it wasn't for them, it would be somewhat higher. Uh, But I don't think it would be much higher um, as long as we protect those in our population who are susceptible to death as a result of it. And that's being done in many places, in most places now. So um, I think that's what we're going to find. And then I think people are going to wonder why these governors shut all these states down so completely and so thoroughly. I really do. Yeah, all right, Shannon, you're feeling better now? Oh, yes, sir. It was, it was my wife, her, her immune system is a little more delicate. It hit her a lot harder. Uh, my my son, you, we weren't even sure at first if he was sick, but um, and, and me, I, I bounced back. It was it was rough for about a week. It, it was mm-hmm. it was a bad flu. It felt like mm-hmm. a bad flu, but that was about it. All right, I appreciate your call, my friend. Thank you, Ryan, Alexandria, Virginia, the great WM. No, Ryan, Ryan's gone. Jeff, Wayne, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark. Yes, sir. All right. Talk right into the mouthpiece so we can understand you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Hi, Mark. 
first time caller. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. I totally agree with the uh, cure can't be worse than the problem. And the numbers that you stated associated with suicide, drugs, and booze, I think are right on. The other thing to consider in massive unemployment is the violent crime and murder rate that increases because of it. You know, being a, when I was a teen in New York City in the 70s and 80s, there was thousands of years, uh, thousands of people a year who died from murder. You couldn't walk in the city or go on a subway car without having to worry about be, being beat over the head just mm. because of the massive unemployment that happened back then when New York was going broke. So I just wanted to put that out there also and say that I agree with you 100%. And that's not even me. That's uh, Betsy McCauley, who was who is a medical professional in many respects and was lieutenant governor of New York, and she, she cited numerous uh, scholars and uh, institutions to make the point. And even though I talk about it, even though it's talked about in the media and so forth, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks never talk about it or rarely talk about it. It's amazing. If you're not going to take a a more universal look at the health of the economy, the health of the people, and you're just going to have a a myopic focus, then you need to understand that's a myopic focus. Thank you for your call, my friend. I want to read everybody or have you all listen to this. This is Chris Murphy, Democrat, Connecticut, on CNN last night. You're not going to believe this. Cut seven, go. As many of us on both sides of the aisle knew what this virus had done in China. We knew it was a matter of time before it arrived here, and it was just shocking how cavalier the administration was. This was at a time when the president really, you know, viewed this as a hoax. Right, let's, let, let's stop this uh, slick, slimy, talk-fasting buffoon, or fast-talking buffoon. Um, this is one of the leaders of the impeachment movement against the president. This is one of the guys who was constantly on television demanding John Bolton, uh, demanding the former counselor to the president. He wanted that, that, uh, that, that outrageous unconstitutional event, that spectacle to go on even longer for two, three, four more weeks. Uh, he never mentioned the coronavirus in these early appearances, and he was everywhere. He's like a bad rash, this guy. Can't shake him. You liberals know exactly what I'm talking about. And now he's on here saying, well, the president did the brilliant. We don't need to blame China. Why do you blame China? The administration had a cavalier attitude. The administration had a cavalier attitude? Is he talking about Fauci? Is he talking about the CDC? What's, who's he ta- what's he talking about? Go ahead. So on TV, and the reason that we're in the crisis that we are today um, is not because of anything that China did. It's not because of anything the WHO did. It's because of what this president did. It's now, you he- hear that? They we're not here because of Red China, the Communist Party in China, their lab, their cover-up, all over. No, 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 no. Come on. No. We're not here because the World Health Organization lied through its teeth, told us it's not person-to-person uh, Contagion told us that uh, you don't need masks. Ah, it's not a problem. It's Trump. Trump's the problem. Trump is the problem. So many politicians in this country and media outlets are owned and paid for by the communist Chinese. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So this guy's a reprobate. Let's go to John Davis, California. John XM Satellite. Go. Yes, John, you're on the air. Oh, hey, Mark. Uh, it's an honor to speak with you. Thank uh, you. I'm a, veteran, I'm a veterinary student in California. I don't have too much free time, but I always try to make time to listen to your show. Thank you. Um, I've, uh, so I've heard you talk over the past few days about all the terrible Supreme Court decisions that have 
altered our system of government. That actually give the president much of the power that these geniuses in these various conservative outlets and geniuses in the news media aren't even familiar with. It's shocking to me. It's these cases that serve as the foundation for the New Deal, for the regulatory state, the administrative state, for the regulations in your home. They regulate your toaster. They regulate your cars. They regulate uh, uh, on and on and on. Where do they get this power from? These cases, not the Constitution. And so uh, the, the, the notion of federalism or the principle of federalism has been uh, bulldozed. It's been, been, it's been bulldozed for 80 years. And then they wake up and say, hey, federalism, federalism. Uh, and these are people who have never, ever agreed with me on the issue of federalism. Anyway, go right ahead. Yeah, so I, I had a question for you. I wanted your opinion on this. Um, if the Supreme Court is to be a co-equal branch of government, yet we <clears throat> agree that judicial supremacy is a big... Those days are over. So what is the proper role and what power should the Supreme Court have? Mr. Bruce, in- do we have a copy of Men in Black... Ask Mr. Mr. Producer, because we should. You sure we don't have a copy of Men in Black? Okay, it's a good idea to find out first. Uh, I want to get your address. If we don't, I'll make sure you get a copy, because the entire book, Men in Black, is how the Supreme Court is destroying America. That's the subtitle. And this is one of several cases that I focus on. So to answer your question is uh, the branches are not as equal uh, as, as they're supposed to be. And the judiciary really does rule supreme because in the end, if it rules the way it rules, uh, people uh, believe that you cannot overturn it, which is one of the reasons I wrote the Liberty Amendments and one of my proposed reform amendments uh, empowers Congress by three-fifths of both houses within a 24-year period to overturn a Supreme Court decision, not rewrite it, or the uh, state legislatures, three-fifths of the state legislatures, to do exactly the same thing. So there's some outlet, there's some alternative to potentially five individuals on a court imposing their will on the public. I don't believe in electing judges. I don't believe in any of that because I don't want a judge who's political. I want a judge who's not political. But the Supreme Court needs to understand, in my view, that it is susceptible to being overturned, uh, having one of its decisions. And, and three-fifths of, uh, of Congress, both houses, or three-fifths of the state legislatures, that's a supermajority. That's a rather wide portion of the body politic. Uh, and I believe in that because I think they've taken judicial review really to an extreme. At least that's my view. Does that make sense to you? It does. If you had to, if you had to guess what what Thomas Jefferson and, and the founders originally intended what, uh, for the Supreme Court, what would you think? Now, remember, Thomas Jefferson wasn't at the Constitutional Convention, but he did have an opinion. And he was furious, furious with his cousin, John Marshall, uh, as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and he believed that Marshall had taken liberties with the law that were unconstitutional. Uh, Jefferson kept did get behind uh, pushing for the impeachment of an associate justice of the Supreme Court. And Jefferson felt that, uh, that the Supreme Court, I mean, this is Jefferson now, uh, he felt that the Supreme Court had, in fact, uh, become tyrannical and very quickly. And this is why a lot of people who are sort of uh, on the hard left and so forth hate Jefferson. 
They much prefer Hamilton. They're not really sure why they prefer Hamilton. They really don't understand Hamilton. They do a whole play on Broadway on Hamilton, but they much prefer him. All right, please don't hang up, um, John, and we'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Jeff, Clark Lake, Michigan, XM Satellite, go. Hey, Mark, Jeff. Uh, really yes, sir. Appreciate you, taking, appreciate you taking my call. My wife and I are really love listening to you. We're Thank over you. the road truck drivers. Oh, man, and, you're the uh, heroes. Well, I don't know about that. This is I'm kind of an under-the-road truck driver. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but anyways, I, I was driving along today. I almost fell out of my seat when I heard uh, a reporter ask a hard question of uh, um, my governor, Halfwit. And she said, uh, um, she, uh, the guy says, I had a guy ask me today, I've been in business for 27 years. It took me to build my business. And 27 days later, my business is almost in ruins. And she said, well, tell him to hang in there. I own my own business. I couldn't handle 30 days. This, this I, is the problem with lifers who've been in politics almost their entire life. This is the problem with Governor DeWine in Ohio. He spent his entire life as a congressman, a senator, an attorney general, than the governor of Ohio. He's held more political positions in Ohio uh, than a uh, yoga student. He really has. And so they, 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 they claim to have this connection with the people they get elected. And they'll tell you that, you know, their uncle was a, a cab driver, their, their, their mother's, uh, uh, you know, uh, second cousin uh, was a postal delivery guy, uh, their, uh, their, 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 their brother works on an assembly. But they... They don't really have a personal connection with working people. I want to thank you for that, Jeff. Thank you for your call. You and your wife, keep it up. They're heroes, as are our doctors and our nurses. Everybody who's trying to participate here, and of course the police and the firefighters, the military, emergency personnel, all you heroes, I want to thank you every night. I'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 